from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Please turn with me to page 67 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, William. Our epistle lesson is taken from the letter to the Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And this, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. It is a great joy and a real privilege to be standing in this pulpit again and I am very grateful to Tony Sundemeyer and the session for inviting me to preach on this All 
Saints Sunday during the sermon series, Lead Like Jesus. Barbara and I have also been thankful for the wonderful way that you have welcomed us back into the life of this congregation since I retired five years ago. And I hope, Tony, that you, the elders, and the whole congregation know how much this means to us. We like to sit right back there, Barbara and I, with Matthew and Catherine and George and Annie, and believe me, we do not take that privilege for granted. When Tony called me last June to ask me to preach today, I probably should have confessed to him that I've been saving up a lot of ideas <laughs> and a lot of illustrations since 2013, and that perhaps he would suggest to the congregation that people would bring their box lunches. <laughs> and then I remembered something that my friend, the late Bishop Bevel Jones of the Methodist Church once said to me about going back to preach in a congregation he has once served. Bishop Jones said, what a retired and returning preacher does not need is a long introduction and a lengthy sermon. What that preacher really needs is a quick benediction. We're Presbyterians here. And the average sermon lasts about 20 to 22 minutes. I've got that. So let's make the most of our time together today. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Some years ago, I heard Dr. Fred Craddock from the Candler School of Theology preach a sermon that I've never forgotten. In that sermon, he told a story about a woman who belonged to the church that he once served out in Enid, Oklahoma. She sang in the choir. And one Sunday afternoon, right after the worship was over, Dr. Craddock was headed for the door, going through the choir room, where he found this woman putting away her robe. He said to her how much he enjoyed the music that morning and then asked how she was getting along. With a painful look in her face, she replied, I'm hanging it up. He thought she was talking about her robe. But then the woman went on to say she had decided to quit the choir and to leave the church. Fred Craddock was surprised. He inquired why, and she answered with a sad tone in her voice. As I looked around the sanctuary today at the pastors and the officers and the ushers and even my fellow choir members, I said to myself what has troubled me for many years, who cares? Who in this whole church really cares about me? That question stopped Fred Craddock in his tracks, and in the conversation which followed, he tried to convince her that he knew a lot of Christian women and men in the church who cared about others, including her. But before he could walk out the door, she took hold of his arm and said, name one. Name one. 
And as he preached that sermon that day, Fred Craddock looked out at the entire congregation and he said, that woman out in Eden, Oklahoma, she wants names. She's asking for names. Can I give her your name? May I use your name? Well, it was an unforgettable sermon. And the question that was asked has been rumbling around in my mind and heart for a long time. Because if we belong to the Christian church and claim to be a caring, compassionate, empathetic, healing, and loving community, then at the center of who we are and all that we say and seek to do is this question, who cares? Some of us in the community of faith might get a little bit defensive about that question, and I think that's what happened to the lawyer in Luke's gospel who approached Jesus one day and asked him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? On the surface of things, that sounds earnest and honest enough to deserve a straightforward answer, but Luke tells us that this lawyer was trying to put Jesus to the test, meaning that maybe, just maybe, the lawyer wasn't as interested in eternal life as he was in creating a scene and sparking a debate and catching Jesus off guard right there in front of his disciples. So our Lord asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, the lawyer knew the rules and the commandments from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, so he replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I can't say for certain, but my hunch is that the tone in that lawyer's voice indicated he did not like being put on the defense because Luke tells us that desiring to justify himself, that is to regain the upper hand, that lawyer probably set his jaw and squinted his eye as he challenged Jesus face to face, asking, and who is my neighbor? As if taking a mirror and putting it in front of his inquisitor, Jesus went on to tell him a story we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible. It's about a man who was beaten by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. The road was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I've been on that road several times myself, and it's nothing like Interstate 75 or 85. That road was and is still treacherous winding down a steep incline with hidden turns where danger could find any traveler. So Jesus went on to say that a priest and a Levite, both upstanding citizens in their community, that a priest and a Levite actually passed by the beaten man on the other side. But then came a Samaritan, a Samaritan, and though his people were outcast and despised, this particular Samaritan had compassion on that man, bound up his wounds, carried him to a nearby inn, and ultimately helped him to get back on his feet again. 
So when Jesus finished the story, he asked, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, proved neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? In other words, who cared? Realizing he had been outflanked, the lawyer had no choice but to reply, the one who showed mercy. And this time Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, then you go and do likewise. The point of this story is not that lawyers don't care about people. I think there are more lawyers in this church than any other profession, and I love all of you. <laughs> You're good people. Neither was Jesus trying to say that all priests and Levites were indifferent to human need. They were religious leaders. In fact, that's what they had been taught to do, to care. But I wonder why that real-life lawyer was so defensive and why those two religious leaders in this parable, why they passed by on the other side. Some biblical scholars have surmised that the priest and the Levite did not want to touch a man who was unclean and a bloody mess. It would have gone against their purification rites and rituals. Others have conjectured that they might have been afraid, actually afraid to stop. Perhaps the robbers were waiting around the corner for them. And still others have proposed that the priest and the Levite felt that they were much too important to get involved in this sundry situation. But I think there's another possibility. Do you know what it is? I think it's possible they were in too much of a hurry with places to go and people to see and things to do, and they just didn't want to take the time or to make the time to reach out with care and compassion to help that man find the healing and hope that he so desperately needed. Yesterday in this sanctuary, we celebrated the life of Anne Black, who was the faithful wife for 53 years of the Reverend Charles Black and who herself was a member of this congregation. She died on the same day that we held Charles's service here one month ago. And at that service, I told a story that I would like all of you to hear this morning. During the 23 years that we worked together, Charles Black, who was very wise and became a close friend and a mentor to me, Charles would say over and over and over again, George, you're in so much of a hurry. You always seem to be in such a hurry. Why don't you just slow down and take it easy? I tried to learn that lesson from him. And soon after he retired in 2012, I was leaving the office on a warm August evening after having been at work most of the day here in the church. And going out, I noticed through the glass doors to my left that there were some homeless men sitting out there on the 16th Street steps. So I went out to greet them. And there was a man named John there whom Charles had introduced me to months earlier. And John looked at me and he said, Preacher, preacher, 
It's really hot tonight. I sure would like some water. Remembering what Jesus once said about giving someone a cup of cold water, I turned around. And I went back down the steps and headed into the pastor's office, and I found one can of Diet Coke in the refrigerator. So I went back out the door, up the steps, and gave the can to John, who looked at me with a toothless smile and said, thank you, preacher, thank you. You know, things go better with Coke. <laughs> and at that moment, I remembered Charles' words to me about not being in a hurry. And the words of our Savior himself who said long ago, inasmuch as you have done this unto one of these, my sisters and brothers, you have done it unto me. This congregation, located strategically at the corner of 16th and Peachtree in the heart of this great city of Atlanta, this congregation has taken those words from Jesus to heart. The bulletin reminds us every Sunday morning that the ministers are all members of the church, which means that each and every one of us has been called by Jesus to care for and to reach out to others who are in need, which begins right here within this community of faith and a myriad of care ministries. It extends then across the city of Atlanta through the expanding community ministries, including the new and exciting vision called Epiphany. And it moves then out around the world through global mission with partnerships in Haiti and Kenya, Brazil, Cuba, and Jamaica and with the dynamic leadership of Dr. Sundermeyer and the dedicated staff members and a growing congregation, which you are, I have no doubt that First Press is going to increase its ministry and mission beyond anything that anyone could possibly imagine. I think we might call it organized, supervised, energized, caring, and you know how to do it. And my friends, it is still a wonder for this retired preacher to behold. Sometimes it happens more spontaneously, and not always in or through the church. In fact, I saw it happen with my own eyes in Chautauqua back in the summer of 1989. As most of you go, know, our family has a cottage at Chautauqua Lake. We've been going there for 41 summers. We were still living in Pittsburgh at the time in 1989, and I had developed a special friendship with Fred Rogers, who had created the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood for TV and as you probably know, was an ordained Presbyterian minister. So we worked things out for Mr. and Mrs. Rogers to come up to Chautauqua for a couple of days and nights to stay at our cottage and for him to speak in the opera house about the family. We pledged Allie, who was then 12, and Matt, who was then eight, we pledged them to secrecy about Mr. Rogers sleeping in their bedroom. 
The very next morning, the lawn was full of kids. <laughs> Lots of them. We still don't know who let the cat out of the bag. And then that afternoon, the opera house was jam-packed as Mr. Rogers was interviewed on the stage by Gloria Steinem. After about 45 minutes of conversation, they began to pass several hand mics throughout the audience for questions and for answers. One woman said how much the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood program had meant to her and to her three sons. A man got up and he thanked Mr. Rogers for dealing with some difficult subjects to help children understand. Others offered their affirmation as well. And then an older woman stood up and said, Mr. Rogers, our daughter and I watched you every day. And we are so grateful for the caring concern that you shared through our television screen. But my daughter, my daughter is now all grown up. She's going through a painful, horrible divorce. And, and at that moment, she started to cry out loud. The whole place was suddenly silent. No one in the opera house knew what to do, but Fred Rogers did. He climbed down from that stage, walked up the center aisle, and edged across the road to where that la lady was sobbing. And he looked at her with care and compassion and then he put his arms around her for almost a full minute. There were no dry eyes in the opera house that day. And afterwards, Mr. Rogers spent some time talking with his new friend and asked her to stay in touch with him, which she did. I want you to know that was a moment in time when empathy and healing and the power of the Holy Spirit moved in that room in a powerful way as one person cared about another person in the name of Jesus. And in case you haven't seen the documentary film, Won't You Be My Neighbor, about Mr. Rogers' unique and wonderful ministry all those years, I commend it to you because it's a movie that all of America, with our divisions and suspicions and fearful conditions, especially as we go to the polls this Tuesday, it's a movie that all of America needs right now because it's about civility and respect. It's about love and joy. It's about compassion and caring. So you see, sometimes the opportunity to offer our care is organized, supervised, and energized through the church. And at other times, it's spontaneous. It just comes to us unexpectedly. But let me tell you, either way, either way, we need to take the time and to make the time to stop what we are doing, to look and to listen and let's never be in too much of a hurry to pay attention. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, quoting her patron saint, Sister Teresa of Avila from the 16th century, Mother Teresa put it this way, Christ has no body now, 
on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he sees the world. Yours are the feet with which he goes about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to reach out and bless now. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So who cares? Jesus Christ has called all of us to care and to reach out and touch a hurting, homeless, helpless, and sometimes hopeless world in his name. And my friends, I ask you, if we as Christians don't do that, who else will? Which brings us to the conclusion of this sermon on All Saints Sunday, asking the question, who cares about healing and about empathy? Dr. Fred Craddock, Reverend Charles Black, Mr. Rogers, and Mother Teresa, who have already gone on before us to heaven, they cared. And so have so many generations of women and men in this great congregation who once worshiped in the pews where you're sitting and worked for Christ and made their witness in and through this church during their time in their place and who, according to Hebrews chapter 12, are now surrounding us as a great cloud of witnesses and encouraging us to look to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In just a minute, we're going to recognize some of them and remember the names of those dear people who lived and who died and who have crossed over to the other side since our last All Saints Sunday. There are 24 of them. 24 of them whom Jesus Christ called to follow him, and they did and our Lord is still looking for disciples willing to serve and to offer their care and to share their compassion with people in need. So, if you want to lead like Jesus, if you really want to lead like Jesus, then may I give him your name. Or better still, are you ready right here and right now to give him your own name? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, session. Thank you, congregation. And thank you to my family. I am overwhelmed by this. And now the short benediction. <laughs> and now go forth into the world in peace. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Help the weak. Support the afflicted. 
honor all persons, love and serve the poor, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. And may the blessings of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all and remain with us always. And all the people together said, Amen.